All right, while everybody's finding their seats and getting ready, just wanted to go over a couple of announcements. We need some prep school teachers and helpers. So uh, Russell Gates, this is Russell down here in the front row, and um, uh, just talk to him about helping out in prep school. Then uh, Chafer Seminary's fall term begins August 1st, which is still Tuesday next week. And at that point, uh, if you register for a course between Tuesday and the next Sunday, then you get not only tuition-free, but registration fee is waived. So that gives you an opportunity to take some of these courses. And the schedules are on the information table through that door. Wayne House is standing back there holding up a chair. And it's through that door on the on one of those tables. And so you can... Um, uh, get some information on that or go to the website, which is chafer.edu. So I'm going tonight, I'm going to teach till about 8.15, 8.20, and then Mark's going to give us a presentation on what he's been doing in, in uh, Belarus and Armenia and other points where, um, where he's been traveling, including the People's Republic of Washington State. So, uh, We'll get a good up, up, update on on all of those things. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So before we get started, we always have a few moments of silent prayer so you can make sure you're in right relationship with the Lord and if necessary, confess any uh, known sin to him and instantly we are forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness so that we can uh, be restored to our fellowship with him, walking by the Spirit and be prepared to study his word this evening. So we'll bow our heads together, and after a few moments of silent prayer, then I will open in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, just a tremendous opportunity we have to come together as believers to study your word, to be reminded of eternal truth, to be reminded of what is important and significant about life, and to come to understand our Savior a little more as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we pray for us tonight that we can focus on uh, what we're learning, coming to grips with what the Scripture says, that we may have a clear understanding of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and why it was necessary that he be undiminished deity and true unfallen humanity so that he could die as our substitute, pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. Father, we pray too for uh, various uh, missionaries that we support uh, who are in various parts of the world, and they have you know the, who they are, and they have different different challenges and logistical issues, and we just pray that you would uh, continue to provide them with opportunities to teach your word. And Father, we're thankful that Mark can be with us tonight, and look forward to what he has to tell us about how you are using him to serve you uh, in uh, Eastern Europe. 
We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have been studying in uh, Philippians, and I got about halfway through getting my uh, slideshow up and didn't get it done all the way, so here we go, and we'll get it cranked up here in just a minute. All right, so we've been studying in Philippians. We came to the passage in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which is known as the kenosis passage, which is talking about uh, as an as sort of an illustration of humility, the fact that it was the second person of the Trinity, the eternal second person of the Trinity, who willingly limited himself by taking on the form of a servant, that is the uh, form of unfallen humanity, so that he could go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. So as we have looked at this, we've addressed various things about the prophecies from the Old Testament as well as statements in the New Testament, focusing on two fundamental questions. First of all, who was Jesus before he came? And second, who was, what was Jesus when he came? These are the two fundamental questions that were addressed in church councils in the fourth and fifth centuries uh, A.D. as they finally were coming together to try to understand what appeared to be a uh, contradiction in Scripture, or a paradox at least. Who was Jesus before he came? This involves two aspects, one his pre-existence, and second, his eternality. And so we covered that looking at various things such as the titles of uh, of uh, the second person of the Trinity in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, uh, various prophecies related to the Messiah that he would be both uh, man and God, and that he was from everlasting, Micah, um, Micah 5.2 that he would be born in Bethlehem and his goings forth were from everlasting. Eternity is an attribute of deity. And then we started looking at what was Jesus when he came, and that took us into the New Testament, and so we're looking at the incarnation. And last time we looked at passages that related to his um, his deity, and now we're going to be looking at his humanity. So what we've learned so far is that in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the context is using Jesus' incarnation as an example to us of humility, that we are to serve the Lord in humility, serving one another, and that's the commands that are stated in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Second, we saw that Christ preexisted his incarnation as undiminished deity. That's in Philippians 2, 6. And three, at the incarnation, God the Son did not surrender or give up any divine attribute. He was still undiminished deity, but he uh, willingly limited his exercise of his divine attributes to solve the problems that he faced due to his limitations in his humanity. So he voluntarily restricted the use of his divine attributes to solve the problems, uh, temptations or challenges that he faced in his humanity. So you can't say, well, Jesus was able to be sinless because he could be rely on his omnipotence omnipotence or his righteousness or whatever. No, he's got to solve problems like that uh, in his humanity based upon the Word of God and the, and the Spirit of God, the same tools that we have. 
And um, fifth, that however we said that though the visible manifestation of his glory was veiled, the glory of his person was made manifest through his words and works. John 1.14, and the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Gospel of John is the only Gospel of the four that does not describe the incident of Jesus unveiling himself and showing forth his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. So the beholding of his glory in the Gospel of John is what he said and what he did. So we looked at all of these various questions, and we've worked our way through the, the passages uh, for his deity, the passages related to his eternality, uh, preexistence, passages related to his coming, uh, the coming of the Messiah, passages which indicated the humanity of the Messiah, passages which indicated the deity of the Messiah, and then we got into the New Testament. And so now, after last week looking at the passages which indicate his deity, we're looking at the passage passages which indicate his humanity. So what we need to be reminded of is in the Old Testament prophecies, you had two streams of information being given in the prophecies. The first stream is that there would be a divine Messiah. The second stream is that there would be a human Messiah. And that these two streams come together in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And so we saw last time that Jesus uh, had the attributes of deity. Uh, he had the fullness of deity. Colossians 2.9 says the fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. He was eternal, immutable, self-existent. Uh, he was and is life itself. He's holy. He's righteous, sovereign over creation. He's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. All of those attributes are uh, belong to Jesus of Nazareth. And then we saw that Jesus claimed to have come down from heaven many times. He came down from heaven. He came down from the Father. Uh, he was claimed to be one with the Father. He claimed to be the eternal I am. There are seven statements in the Gospel of John where he uh, begins, I am ego eimi, which is the Greek meaning of Yahweh in the Old Testament. And even though modern liberals do not recognize that as a claim to deity, the Pharisees were a lot smarter than modern liberals. And they understood that it was a claim to deity because they picked up the stones to stone him. And uh, on many occasions, not just one, he also claimed to know that to know him, to know Jesus, was to know God. To see Jesus was to see God. To receive him, to receive Jesus, was to receive God. Uh, to honor him was to honor God. And then, uh, fourth, we saw that he claimed to be the only object for saving faith, that he claimed to have authority to give eternal life. He had authority over the disciples. He had authority over the temple. He had authority over the Sabbath and over the Mosaic law, over the covenants, and authority over the Messianic kingdom. 
So the conclusion is that only someone determined to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, Romans 1.18, could possibly claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Only if they are uh, willing to ignore all of the evidence. So what we're looking at tonight is that uh, the issue of the humanity of Jesus. And one of the heresies in the ancient church was called docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. There's no letter, there's no sibilant letter C in the Greek. It is a kappa. It's a K. So I don't know what we, we've anglicized it to docetism, but it's from the Greek verb dokeo which has the idea that something just seems or appears to be something that it really isn't. And so there was a claim due to the influence of Platonism at the time that that Platonism believed that anything that was physical, material, was tainted by sin. So therefore, uh, the, the Messiah could not be truly physical. He could not be uh, physical humanity. For him to be corporeal would mean that he would be tainted by sin. So they said that Jesus only appeared to be a human. He only appeared to be um, uh, physical, to have a physical body. And so that was a uh, doctrine or heresy in the that the early church had to deal with. So when we get into looking at the evidence for Christ as uh, in terms of his humanity, uh, we're going to go through uh, several uh, areas where there is clear evidence that Jesus was uh, g- genuine humanity, unfallen humanity. So the first point is that Jesus had all of the essential attributes of a genuine, unfallen, sinless uh, human being. He had a physical body, a physical body like your body and like my body, and he, except he did not have a sin nature. He had an immaterial soul, and he had an immaterial human spirit, which is attested to in a number of passages. So what I'm doing here is giving you Scripture, as is my um, practice, is to give you Scripture, because we've all been in classes, in Bible classes, in Sunday school classes, in theology classes, where we have been given points followed by seven or eight references. And then we go back home and we start looking those verses up, and sometimes they fit and sometimes we wonder, now how how does that fit with the point? So I always try to go through all of the verses just to show what the point is that I am making so you can see it uh, in the Scripture. So Jesus' body followed a normal development process in the womb of his mother Mary. He was uh, It was a virgin conception and a virgin birth, but the development in the womb was normal physical uh, process in the development of his body. And then he was born physically. So that Luke tells us in Luke 2.6, after describing what how God moved, uh, Caesar Augustus to, or moved at the time of Caesar Augustus to have a census taken, uh, that how he moved Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. We read in verse 6, so it was that while they were there, that is Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered, normal birth language of a physical baby. 
verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. It's hard to wrap something that is just an appearance of physicality and not actual physicality in a diaper. But it's a lot easier to clean a diaper if there's no real physicality. At least somebody's listening. I see a few smiles and chuckles. So they they diaper the baby Jesus, laid him in a manger because there's no room for him, them in the literally the upper room. Uh, Luke 2.16, and they came with haste, that is the shepherds, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So all of this attests to everybody's witnessing a physic, physical infant. So Jesus had a human body. In Matthew, we read um, that Joseph, as a subject of the verb, Joseph did not know her, meaning they did not have sexual relations, until she gave birth, because it was a virgin conception, virgin birth, until she brought forth, and here we have the Greek verb tikto, meaning to bear children. That indicates that she goes through the normal birth process. And uh, her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. And then in Matthew 2, 1, after Jesus was born, using the verb ganao, which means to give birth, um, in Bethlehem of Judea, etc. So it's a physical birth is what is described in, in the Gospels. Also, we see that there are statements made uh, throughout the Gospels related to events in his life. In Matthew 26, 12, that um, uh, the woman um, that's believed to have been Mary that poured the oil, anointed his body uh, before, right before he went to the cross. He says, for in pouring the fragrant oil on my body, hard to put oil on a body that is not physical. Uh, she did it for his burial. He ate. He said as they were eating, that is, at the Passover meal the night before he went to the cross, he blessed and broke the bread, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. So he's making a comparison there, but he is talking about his own physical body. Verse 28, this is my blood of my of the covenant. So he had physical body, physical blood. Luke 2, 21, he was circumcised on the eighth day. It's hard to circumcise a an immaterial spirit that only appears to be physical. So you've got these statements that are very clear all through Scripture that Jesus is uh, as a physical human body. He talks in Luke twenty four thirty nine about his hands and his feet. This is in his resurrection body, showing the scars to Thomas that he has um, physical body, though it is now a a resurrection body. And he says it's flesh and bones. Interesting, he doesn't say it's flesh and blood. John 2.21, uh, he's speaking of the temple of his body. So that, again, reinforces a physical body. Uh, Hebrews 2.14, we read, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, he being Jesus. He shared in a physical body of flesh and blood. He's got a true human body. 
One of my favorite passages to think about is Hebrews 10.5, which is a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, applies the uh, prophecy to Jesus. Therefore, that when he came into the world, he said, so when he came into the world would refer to the incarnation. When he came into the world, he says, as he took, takes on the physical body of, of humanity, he is said to have referenced or said this psalm, a body, you, talking to God the Father, you have prepared for me. So the body that Jesus had was a body that was designed in the omniscience of God from eternity past. And so when God is giving or is making Adam from the soil, it is a body that God has determined is the most perfect way in which he could manifest himself in a physical body. Think about that for a while. That Jesus, that God the Father is giving Jesus a body that he's designed. He designed our physical body, the physical body of Adam, knowing that at one point he is going to incarnate himself into that physical form. So it is the best way in which he as infinite God could reveal himself in that kind of a body. We don't look like a Wookiee. We don't look like a Klingon. We don't look like an uh, alligator. We don't look like uh, a cow. We have a specific form. And that form is in the mind of God. How do we know that? We've talked about angels in the Tuesday night the last couple of weeks. We've talked about cherubs, seraphim. They have... um, they have the, the, the face of, of a man, but God hadn't created a man yet. They had a face of a lion. They had a face of oxen. They had a, uh, and God hadn't created those creatures yet. Face of an eagle. God had not created those creatures yet. So that, that, that form is already in God's mind and he's using it in, with other creatures. So this body, this human body, is designed specifically by God to be the greatest expression, uh, greatest body for the expression of his, his deity, revealing his, himself to us. Hebrews 10.10, by that we, we, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. So again and again, the scripture reiterates this. And then we're told that Jesus had a human soul. Human soul is the immaterial part of man. I believe it can consists of our self-consciousness, which in the unfallen state before the fall uh, enabled uh, man to have God consciousness. He had a mind. So you have self-consciousness, you have a mind, you have mentality so that you can think uh, the thoughts of God. You can think the things of God. You can think about God. Uh, we have a conscience for storing the uh, norms and standards that God gives us. And um, all of that is what comprises the, the soul. And then we have a human spirit, which we'll look at next. That is that part, that immaterial part of man, which enables the soul to relate to God, I believe. So in John twelve twenty seven, Jesus says, My soul is troubled. Acts 2.27, he says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, quoting from Psalm 16, 8 to 11. Had a human spirit, Mark 2.8, he says, 
um, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit. Now, there's an argument that spirit and soul in some passages can be synonyms, but in specific passages like the passage in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. And in First Thessalonians, Paul talks about the body and the soul and the spirit. So sometimes there's a distinction. Sometimes they're viewed almost synonymously, but the, those two passages indicate a clear distinction. So Mark 8:12, he sighed deeply in his spirit. And then uh, we have also uh, pa- passages like Luke 23:46 at the cross when he dies physically in his. Uh, he says to the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and breathe his last. Um, John 11.33, groaned in the spirit. John 13.21, he's troubled in spirit. So these are all passages that indicate that he has, as we've seen, a physical body, human soul, uh, human spirit. He also, and uh, this should be, I think I mislabeled this, he had a human ancestry traced back to Adam. And he's called, he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he has a genealogy. In Luke chapter 4, he traced, it's traced all the way back to Adam. Romans 1 3, he is, Jesus Christ is born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So he has a physical body. He had human names such as son of man, which indicates his humanity, and it's used 82 times. It was Jesus' favorite term to describe himself, the son of man. His name, his proper name, Yeshua, emphasizes his role as Savior. So he has human names. Joshua is a form of Yeshua, and there are other other forms of that name. So he has human name. He's called a man by other people, John 1.30. This is John the Baptist who says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. In John 10.33, it's the Jews or the Judeans uh, who answer him and say, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself to be God. You being a man. So they recognize his humanity. Acts 2.22, Peter says he's a man attested by God to you. In Acts 13.38, uh, it's Paul speaking, and Paul says it is uh, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Paul, again, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 5, verse 15, the gift by the grace of the one man, Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15.21, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, referring to Jesus again as a man. In 1 Corinthians 15.47, he's the second man. First man would be Adam. He's the second Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Philippians 2.8, he's found in appearance as a man. 1 Timothy 2.5, he is uh, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Again and again and again, there's this witness to the fact that he is a man. He is fully, uh, fully human. And Jesus called himself a man under the next point F. By now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Uh, he refers to himself as a man. 
So all of these passages indicate that. He, his growth under point G, Jesus from childhood to adulthood developed as a normal human. We have passage like Luke 2.40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was with him. And two verses later we read, and Jesus increased, talking about his growth, increased in wisdom uh, and stature and in favor with God and man. So he grows just like a normal human child. Under H, he experienced a range of, of hu- human uh, emotions and human feelings. He was hungry. Matthew 4.2 and Matthew 21.18 both state he was hungry. He hungered. John 19.28, he was thirsty on the cross and said, I thirst. And John 4.6, he's weary after a day of travel. Uh, all of these indicate the limitations of a human body uh, even though it's not fallen, it is nevertheless limited as a human body. Uh, he's tired. They go out on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, actually the Lake of Galilee, and a great storm arose on the sea, and uh, Jesus is asleep, taking a nap in the middle of a tempest. Mark 10:21. Jesus loved. He looked at him, loved him, and said to him, one thing you lack Go your way, sell what you have, etc. Matthew nine thirty six six. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. So he has these human emotions. In Luke two forty twenty two forty four. Some of the most challenging passages for people to think through is what is going on with Jesus leading up to the cross and at the cross. He's in agony. This is talking about his physical uh, physical. Uh, stress as he contemplates what is about to happen uh, on the cross. And he uh, prayed more earnestly. He sweated great drop, like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And that is a common, as an understood physical reality when somebody is in great agony and great stress. Uh, John twelve twenty seven. now my soul is troubled. So his soul is troubled. He is distressed. He's sorrowful. All of these different words are used to describe uh, his uh, emotional state prior to the fall, but he ne- doesn't sin. Hebrews 2.18, that he himself has suffered being tempted. And Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in all points as we are. Uh, Luke 7.34, there's a contrast between Jesus, the Son of Man, and John the Baptist. Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. John the Baptist's disciples were fasting. And so they, the Pharisees accused him of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. I saw a on vacation last week in one of the little stores we wandered through, there was a you know, they have towels with these sayings on it. So there's a towel that has a picture of a corkscrew and a bottle of wine and the statement, screw it. See, that's a wine bibber, somebody who is just loving wine. So little pun there. So that's what he's talking about. They accuse Jesus of overeating and being a drunkard and hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, which he did. But they are making something, trying to make something out of it. 
Uh, Luke 7.36, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. So he's eating, he's drinking, all of the normal activities of a physical human body. Under I, though omniscient in his deity, he willingly limited his access to that omniscience and showed at some points a limited knowledge. Now, we don't quite grasp how that happens. How can Jesus be omniscient and not know certain things? And so he's showing a certain restriction of that knowledge. In Mark 13, 32, but of that day and hour, talking about uh, the future second coming, uh, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father knows that exact time. Jay, he physically suffered and he physically died. So we've seen that he's hungry, he's thirsty, he's tired, he has compassion, he has love, he has uh, anger towards the money changers in the temple, he shows grief, he agonizes in pain on the cross. John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, which was vinegar, we discussed that at dinner tonight, didn't we, Wayne? So, And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And Hebrews 2.14 uh, and as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews 5, 8, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. So he physically suffers and he physically died on the cross. So one last section that we'll get uh, get to cover is just thinking through the humiliation of Christ. That is the term that is used to describe the elements of the incarnation because he is bring, being brought down from the glory of heaven to live amongst sinners. As a righteous God, he lives with ignorant, fallen sinners, dealing with um, their all of their sins and dis disobedience. So the incarnation itself is a humiliation as the creator willingly took upon himself the limitations of the creature. And so he is limited in that way. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So he has those physical limitations of the creature. He is, uh, though being in the form or the essence of God, did not consider it something to be grasped after, literally, to be equal with God. So he's willing to give up his divine privileges. That's the illustration of humili humility. Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. That's how he limited himself. Hebrews 2.14, a passage we've already looked at several times, that he shared in the same nature of flesh and blood as the children. So he had those limitations of a physical body. Second, the eternally righteous and just creator was not made sinful, okay, Uh he only took on the likeness of sinful flesh. That's important to catch that. 
Uh, scripture is very clear of what is going on here. Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he appears like every other human being that's fallen, but he is not sinful. That's the phrase likeness of men in Philippians 2.7 indicates the same thing. Then we have, under the third point, the eternal, infinite, unique God, the holy God. He's holy in his eternality. He's holy or unique in his infinity. Uh, he was born in humble circumstances. He's born and placed in a manger. He's reared in a small rural village, and it's a, um, a measure of poverty there. Luke 2, 7, they laid him in a manger, Matthew 2.23, he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, which probably didn't have more than 50 or 100 people in it. And uh, Matthew 8.20, he had uh, nowhere, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But we do know that he did have a house, a residence in Capernaum. Fourth, he was born under the Mosaic law and was subject to the restrictions of the Mosaic law. Jesus obeyed the law throughout his whole life, so he's born under those restrictions. He's born under the law, Galatians 4, 4 says. Under point five, part of his humiliation was to live with the physical limitations of life. He grew weary, tired, sleepy, hungry, thirsty. He had sufferings, temptations, and rejections. His own brothers and sisters did not believe in him, John 7, verse 5. Uh, Hebrews 4, 15, he's tempted as all points as we are, uh, yet without sin. Hebrews 12, 3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, the hostility of the cross. Under point 7, in his humiliation, he bore the punishment for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 For he, that is God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sinned. He doesn't say he made him a sinner. He imputed to the perfect humanity of Jesus Christ, to the God-man, he imputed the sin of all history. He legally assigns that to Jesus. He doesn't make him a sinner, but he makes him, he bears the penalty for sin. He who knew no sin, uh, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. First Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to our sins, which occurs at the baptism by means of the Holy Spirit, might live for righteousness. That's what Romans chapter 6 is all about. Seventh point, in his humiliation, he had to endure the curse of physical death on the cross. This was an ignominious death. Only the worst of the worst criminals were crucified. It was shameful. It was an embarrassment. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed, redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. 
It was a shameful death. And yet he looked to forward to the joy uh, that was set before him. The eighth point is that in his humiliation, his body had to be buried. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-nine uh, describes fifty-nine through sixty describes the way they uh, they wrapped the body, laid it in the new tomb. It was an unused tomb, uh, which um, had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a large stone against the door. And Acts thirteen thirty-four, quoting from Psalm sixteen. Uh, he was not to return to corruption. Acts 13.35, uh, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And 1 Corinthians 5.14, he was buried so that he could rise again. So he had to be buried. All of those things were uh, ignominious ways for him to, um, to live and to die because uh, he was living among sinners, the eternal, infinite, holy, righteous, just God of the universe is living uh, in poverty. He's, uh, I don't think it was much poverty because I think Joseph probably did pretty well making a living as a, as a stone carpenter. That They work with stone. If you've been to Israel, there's not as much wood hanging around. There's a lot of stone. So he was more like a stonemason and a builder. And there was a town, Sephoris, not but two or three miles from Nazareth, where they were doing a lot of building at the time. And he would have had a fairly good job, but it was just a very rural existence. So we see that throughout the scripture, it teaches that he is not only undiminished deity, but he is genuine, unfallen humanity. Now, the question is, how do you put that together? Because he's, how do you explain when that is put together? You know it's put together. The early church, the post, the apostolic church, clearly understood that he was both God and man, but they didn't have a way to articulate that. And so that's what we're going to look at next time, is the passages that teach that in his incarnation he's both God and man, and then the history in the early church as they're trying to figure out how to correctly uh, explain that, and you have to say it the right way because if you put too much emphasis one way or the other, you're going to end up in heresy and you're going to end up with a Savior who can't save. It's very important. So we'll look at that uh, next week. Right now we have Mark here, uh, and Mark is going to come up here in just a minute, and he can come up while I close in prayer uh, and get his laptop ready to plug in and figure out how all of that is going to work. So I'll unplug mine so he can uh, see. I hope you have the right connection. If not, Barb will have to come up here and wave her magic wand and pixie dust. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had to look at our Lord Jesus Christ to understand who he is as eternal deity and true unfallen humanity, that because he is who he said he was, he was able to do what he said he would do. He was able to fulfill the prophecies and promises throughout the Old Testament, and he was able to secure for us a great salvation. So, Father, we thank you for that, and we pray that as Scripture, uh, as Peter uh, commands us, that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may realize these are just basic building blocks in coming to understand who Jesus is and what he did in terms of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so, Father, help us to think through these things and remember their significance as we read our Bibles, memorize Scripture, and internalize the truth of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Be back with you again. It's been too long. Can you hear me? Is that better? That's better. So it's good to be back. It's been quite some time since the last time I was here. And we've been on the mission field for a number of years. And the last five years we've been in, in Armenia. We did spend one year in Kazakhstan, and this year we were in Belarus. But, of course, we're also in and out of Ukraine quite a bit. So I'll give you an update of what's happened the last year. And hopefully I can encourage you guys what's going on. And, of course, the incarnation of Christ is really the main reason why we do mission work. You know, this is our primary desire is to share people the coming of the Savior, what he has done for us, why he became a man, why it was that is necessary for the God-man to die on a cross and no one else. I mean, you have to communicate these things to people because only God can save. He is the Savior. And, of course, when God comes down to us, it's going to be a matter of grace. It's not a, and what God has done, not what we can do in our own works. So this is a constant battle that goes on when you're in the mission field. Even at home here, it's the same problem. How do you teach people these things? And, you know, these are tremendous uh, realities, you know, that is available to us. That is, the Scriptures teach us. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in reality. And we want to share these things that our salvation is based on facts it's based on reality. It's not some form of mysticism or some hope so of some kind. It's something that's real. So that's what we're trying to do, uh, even in the former Soviet Union, even today, in spite of this war. Uh, there's lots of things going on in the former Soviet Union right now. Most of it's not good, uh, but the Lord has been faithful to us. Uh, we've had a very good year in Belarus, and I'll explain a little bit how we got there. Uh, it was not our plan to be in Belarus this year, but it happened to work out thanks to the war, very interestingly enough. And I'll explain a little bit more how that took place. Uh, the name of our group is called the Ararat Rainier East-West Fellowship. And we do have a website. You can, you can look at that. Uh, we do have an office in Spokane. So if you want to support us, you can send uh, checks to that um, particular address. And uh, we will hopefully uh, return receipts and all the types of things. We are a 501c3 charity, all the things that are necessary for the government to be happy and you to be happy, supposedly. And so please... Um, Take us into consideration. Now, that is Mount Ararat there on the on the far side. This is Mount Rainier. Now, the only reason I picked Ararat Rainier East-West Fellowship is because I knew that nobody would copy this because that's a problem sometimes with names. I mean, uh, when we started the church in Olympia, Washington, I also did that, too, um, with a group, a good group of people that we established. Uh, we I first called wanted to call the church Grace Chapel, but someone wrote me a letter and says, you can't do that. We have Chapel of Grace. You can't use that name. Rather than fight with them, we just went for a different name at Grace Redeemer Bible Church. So we established that church in 2004. 2018, Karen, my wife, and I decided to return to the mission field. We actually were in Ukraine for six years working with Jim Myers. Uh, before that, we were with Village Ministries International in Belarus for a year. And uh, even in between, uh, when I lived in Back home in the States, I often went to, to, even to Belarus too, I went to Ukraine. I taught at the Bible College, probably uh, the second most compared to Jim. I was there two, three times a year. 
And then, of course, sometimes we'd sneak into Belarus. Sometimes I snuck into Russia, too. Uh, there's a ministry there because we had some students from the Bible College in Kiev that Jim and I helped establish. Of course, Jim is the main guy, but I, I was always there helping. Um, he, he was from Russia, so he goes to Krasnoyarsk. And so we still have a ministry there, too. And, and you know, <laughs> right now it's just really hard because of this war. And he, he writes to me, you know, a couple of notes now and then to let me know that he still cares about what's going on. He still cares about the ministry. And not long ago he told me um, what it, what's required today is a special kind of righteousness to see through all of the propaganda because it's very thick, you know, that we see on any and all sides when you look at really what's going on. We're, we're in serious deep waters, and we're doing what we can, the best we can, and I'll try to share what happened this year. So um, here, of course, is... You know, a, a big part of the Soviet Union. We have Russia to the east, of course, Moscow, the capital. We have Belarus. You can see that country right next to Russia there. Minsk, that's the capital. So right now we are living in Minsk. And this occurred because um, a lot of reasons. First of all, we were pushed around by the uh, virus. You know, that, that was a problem. We were, were in Armenia and there for three years. Had a great time there. I guess a too good of a time. So then we have to go to Kazakhstan because of the virus chaos. My wife is an international school teacher. So this, uh, I know people look at me, what's going on? Well, I do this because I can get visas and residencies, okay? It's very important when you want to do anything, especially in the former Soviet Union. You've got to have visas. You have to have residencies. And the school does all that. And then I can travel, okay? I mean, it doesn't matter. Karen can be in wherever city she's working in, and then I can go travel to Ukraine. I can go to Belarus. I can go to Armenia. Well, whatever, okay, you know, even to Russia, for example, which we have done, except for the last couple of years. Uh, about a year and a half ago is the last time I was there. So, you know, that, that's really not a big deal. And then we try to establish, you know, like um, what you would call like a little mission operations in the home city where, where, where we're living. So we do that too. And Armenia, we did that for living for three years, and that turned out very well. We moved there in 2018. And you can see Armenia way down to the south, and Yerevan is there right next to Turkey. That's where Mount Ararat is, and Mount Ararat is this beautiful mountain. You see the first picture you saw there. That's, a, that's Noah's mountain, as we understand it. And Yerevan looks right at this beautiful mountain. And so that's where Yerevan is to the south. And then we, were, we had to go to Kazakhstan because of virus chaos. And then our plan was to, re, to we bought a house in Ukraine, in, in Irpin, Ukraine, which is near Kiev. And our plan was to work one more year, and then we'll retire there, and then uh, Karen can retire, and I can do ministry. That was the plan. And of course, then the war broke out, and all of that came to an end. And so last spring, we were without a job, and we were without a, a home. We didn't know where to go. We, we sold our home in Olympia, Washington, the old farmhouse where I grew up, or in the whole the area, that farmhouse we have there. So we sold that. Had no place to go and no job. Well, in, in May, uh, the international school system where Karen works, they offered her a position in Minsk. <laughs> okay. And because nobody wanted to go to Minsk right now because of the war, there was openings in Minsk. So we said yes because we, we know Belarus. So we've always wanted to go there. Uh, now we can live there again as we tried to live there a number of years ago. We first became missionaries, 95, 96. Now we can live there. And we can do ministry again. So we, we took it. Uh, a little bit dangerous, of course, but, you know, we're not intimidated by the situation. I mean, anything can happen, but still, uh, they know who I am, the authorities. They, they've been watching me for years. They don't seem to care. 
This year, no one touched me. That could change. I mean, the war is continuing to deteriorate. Nothing good. Uh, the general of Wagner now, he is now in Belarus. That's not a good sign. I don't like that at all. However, we were okay. We had a great year. And so, uh, yeah, the, the tension is difficult. It's a very controlled society, but we still had a very good year. And it was good to be back with people that we've known for a long time. So uh, <laughs> I never dreamed this would ever happen, but I, I'm ministering this last year on two sides of the same war front. Uh, that's shocking. I mean, I so in, in Belarus, that's on the north side of the front. The east, you know, it's on the east side, I guess you could call it that. And uh, we, we have ministries going on there. And it's, Mint started out slow, but it's getting very productive. And, and the main concern in, in Belarus is the church in Mygadov that we helped establish a long time ago. Jim Myers especially, Village Missions Ministries International. They were all involved in establishing that church. But because of all the government control, it was hard to found that church properly. And it's always been a big concern of mine about, you know, the, this church. And so uh, it was been, we've had a great year to be back with them. They are so happy. Solid teaching is being provided them every couple of weeks. I'm there traveling back and forth. In fact, I'm there every week. So uh, I make it so I'm there every week at least once. So either every two weeks on Sunday or every two weeks on Monday or Wednesday. And we're teaching uh, either Bible studies or at the church. Uh, and uh, it's just been a really good year for us. Now to the south, we also went, I went to Ukraine twice this year. So, um, I was, there, I was there over a month. Uh, I, I was just there in May. So I stayed for three weeks, and so we're, we're doing that. Uh, we still have people we know and love there. I have a home there. i got to take care of it. Uh, there was a war that was fought all around our home. Uh, battles were serious battles, gunshots, all, you know, all kinds of stuff was going on. Someone's roof next door to us got blown off. I mean, but you know, our house is still standing. There was no problems whatsoever. Uh, but still, I mean, it's um, lots of excitement uh, in Ukraine. So I had to take care of that. I rehired a guy to help finish things up. He almost got everything done uh, except for a couple of small details, and he was called off to the front. So he can't finish <laughs> finish the house. But basically, we could live there. Uh, it's just missing furniture and, and Karen and I. So we want to try to move there if we can. We just don't know if we can. So, again, we did ministry in Ukraine. We also went to Armenia. So I was there. I used Armenia to go back and forth to to Ukraine. So I can kind of cleanse my trip, you know, from Minsk. I go to Yerevan. And then, of course, the only place out of Minsk anyway is either Yerevan, Armenia, or through Georgia, Tbilisi. So that's the only way out of, uh, by plane, out of uh, out of Belarus. But we, we, we lived in Armenia for three years. Uh, we, we have ministries there. We have people we know. And so God's providence provided a way in which this year worked very well. So I would fly to Yerevan. We'd do ministries in Armenia. Then I would go to Ukraine and do ministries there and then go back and see people again in Armenia and then go back to Minsk. So it was a very full year. We've had a good year. And so I just want to share uh, what happened this year. So Karen works at the Minsk International School, and uh, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it provides visas and residencies. When we lived in Belarus a number of years ago, it was really super hard, first of all, to get a visa. Secondly, residencies were even worse. But here at the school, I mean, they just provide all that. It's not a problem. We, we bought a car, uh, largely because Kazakhstan would not let us spend, you know, they wouldn't let us spend money there, kind of a strange, strange circumstances there in that country. So this money kind of built up, and so we bought a car, and we're driving all over Belarus right now. Just things that I would have never imagined has happened this year, and it's been a very good year. We've been able to get around, um, which is pretty important. 
uh, and we've just we've just been amazed. Here's the ministries in Mogilov. So this is a town near the Russian border. And uh, Robbie has been there, actually. He's, he's done ministry there himself. Jim Myers, of course, moved there back in 93. Jim and Phyllis lived there for three years. We showed up that last year. And this is when the KGB started to really tighten things up and started to put a stop to a lot of those good ministries that first developed the first couple of years. So we, you know, we there was too many Americans in one spot. And, and basically it was designed for like a, a Bible school because a number of Americans were teaching at the Machine Building Institute in Mogilov. And they had 80 to 100 students in a class there. They needed more teachers, so they invited me to come. And just as I got there, it just <laughs> it all shuts down. And we had to focus on establishing that church that is still there in Mogilov even today. So it's been great to be with them. They now have a church, a VMI. They helped establish that church, built that church. And there you see it there. It's just a private home. It's a pretty good-sized home. And that's where they have church. Uh, we've ministered there in Mogilov really since we lived there as much as possible through the years. Uh, in fact, Dr. House has also been there. So uh, he taught on Proverbs, and we had a very good time with him there too. And, of course, I, I would bring my Ukrainian friends there. Not a lot, but some would come with me just to kind of keep things relatively quiet. And we've had good ministries in Mogilov really all throughout these years. So to actually live there has been a special blessing for everybody. Uh, taught the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 1 to 5, every other week at the church there. So that's been going very well. And then we'll have like a lunch break, and then for two hours, two or three hours, we'll teach on some Bible courses. I, we, we finished up Christ's Substitute. This was something we had let go from a couple of years ago because of the virus madness. We had to put a stop to it. Also, we finished up Proverbs 17 to 31 from previous times, again, before the virus took over. So we've been able to finish up some things that were left hanging. That's been good. I always hate leaving things hanging. I, I want to finish them. It's just something that's uh, ingrained in me. I grew up on the farm with this mentality. My dad taught me this stuff. And, of course, even the Bible tells us even stronger. Finish what you started. And so this is very important. The spiritual life you need to finish and finish well. Uh, so we have Minsk Ministries now. started out slow, but we're, that's the capital city. And we live uh, there in that city. It's a million, about 2 million people live there. And I'm teaching now one or two times a month at the Minsk International Church. So this is all in English. I taught Chrysler Substitute weekly, weekly Bible study for the Minsk International Church. Again, just a small group, but still we've been doing it. Had a good time with, with that group. I'm teaching an English Bible evangelism class at a Newland Church that's five minutes away from our home. So I can walk over there. It's not a problem. And very interestingly enough, that church... We have a, a, a translator that worked for many years. Our, in fact, our best translator ever uh, in Kiev. And, and he worked at the Bible College. He was from Belarus. He went to that church. So the connections here, again, God providentially provided some good connections for us so that we're able to do some things that would take a lot more time with, with other uh, situations. So that's been very good for us. And so now I'm teaching there once a month also at the church. It's called New Land Church. And now there's a new group, uh, the Word of Grace Bible Church. Uh, they look very promising. They want to do some discipleship things. I'm hoping we can start to do some things with them. And um, the last Sunday in Minsk, I was there just a few weeks ago. I taught in three different churches. So one in the morning, one at noon, and then in the afternoon. So I'm hoping that's a sign of better things to come. What I don't like, of course, is the political situation. Nothing good. Okay, it's a very delicate situation. I don't know what's going to happen there tomorrow. So we just need lots of prayer. Pray for us. And, uh, you know, there's not going to be a problem for Karen or, or, 
or uh, Rachel's going to be with us, by the way. She's going to teach uh, in the school there, but the problem is going to be, you know, me. So pray for me. So far, they haven't touched me. Uh, I, I don't know that, that they will. I don't think they will. I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm looking at what's going on, and, you know, the, the West is becoming really evil. Uh, the person that's in opposition to the current president right now is all into the green movement, okay, basically a hippie, and, of course, the transgender stuff's going to come with this, so why would I even support that? You know, it's just madness what's going on, and it's just really a sad situation. You know, we, we have nobody good to stand up in the gap in our current world situation because uh, the West is evil. The East, of course, has its own many problems. Eastern cruelty versus Western depravity is what we have laid bare now all along the Russian front, and it's just really bad. It's just really sad. I have no answers to it, but we pray every day. I am for Ukraine, but for a very small list. Number one, religious freedom. That's the most important thing. Uh, Ukraine is probably the most religious, one of the most religiously free countries in the world. That is the primary target of the devil right now. All the other stuff doesn't matter. That is under vicious attack. Secondly, we have all kinds of people we know and love in Ukraine. Uh, they are, you know, um, our ministries. Basically, we're watching them getting blown out of the water, literally, okay, uh, so we're concerned about that. We have families, okay? The families are split. We have pastors or leaders or people that are at home and their families are elsewhere, okay? That this is really hard uh, for families. It's, again, it's very difficult. And then also uh, their homes and our home. Our, our home is there too. So for, for that list of reasons, I'm still for Ukraine and I still pray about this war every day. And please pray for this whole situation. It's really a sad difficult situation. So I made two trips to Ukraine the fall and the spring. First is more difficult because the war was still, the psyche of it was not good. The second time more fruitful. So I did a lot more teaching. Uh, things are starting to, people want to get back to normal a little bit. You can sense it and see it. We took advantage of that. And we have uh, ministries in Kiev, Badashivka, Lviv, Rovna, Irpin. So that's what happened this last year. Taught the book of Philippians. Uh, it's very good. Robbie is teaching that. Uh, in Philemon in this, the city of Rovna, which is a little bit farther to the west, but still had a great time. This is for Dr. Ron Minton. Some of you may know Dr. Ron Minton. He has established a, like a, a Bible college that's housed in different churches in different places, including Yerevan, Armenia, where I also have done lots of teaching for him there too. Finished uh, Proverbs 25 to 31 in Lviv, so we've, we've done that. Uh, again, because of the virus restrictions and the war, we've been, we find they're starting to finish things up that have been left hanging for a number of years and also took care of our townhouse. So that was kind of what happened last year in um, Ukraine. Uh, just a summary. Now, we printed up all kinds of books for Robbie. Uh, in fact, uh, we have Russian version two, which was translated by Irina, Dr. Wayne's house's wife. And we, we are passing these out in Belarus. Uh, they're also being passed out of Ukraine. We have a Ukrainian version. I'm trying to get this translated into Armenia so we can do this as well. And this this is going out. I mean, it, we, we, we are sending, just as I arrived, for example, in um, Lviv last May, all the boxes came into Lviv. And so, and then Vasya took me to Kiev. And on the way, we were passing out these boxes, eager, got a whole bunch of stuff. But we, other people too, people we've, that we've known, we, we have ministries with them. Uh, here you see, because of Victor Munko, he's in the middle. He lives in Irpine. He has had ministries with lots of soldiers. And he, you know, he was passing out these tracts, um, talking to men. At least something positive is going on. And I know this is one of the differences that people don't understand between what's going on in Ukraine and in Russia. On, on the Russian side, I can tell you this is not happening. 
Very little of it, if any. It's controlled by the Orthodox Church. Okay, they are not giving out the, the grace gospel to these folks. Okay, in Ukraine, you have this opportunity. They're still doing this. They have chaplains are there. They're they're giving out. They're evangelicals. Evangelicals are not allowed anywhere near. Okay, what's going on in the Russian front? So whatever's going on with politics, I know it's evil. I, I have no. I, I understand that completely. But that is important. Religious freedom is critical. And Ukraine right now could very well lose it. Uh, you know, it's just a, we need to pray. So when I was in Ukraine, I taught in Psalm 9, uh, Psalm 10, 13, 27. David was, a, you know, he was a warrior, faced death a lot. Uh, so I taught on these Psalms to help encourage people. Uh, again, very well received. Of course, in chapter 13, David says, how long? You know, he's in a very serious situation. He's about ready to die as far as he's concerned. He's in trouble, and he says, how long? So I, I taught that in, in Psalm 13 in Ukraine, in fact, in several different churches. And, of course, interesting, David does not ask why. He just says, how long? You know, it's interesting. Respect for God's sovereign authority for what's going on in the world, the judgment of God. The world is being judged big time right now, guys. It's lots of stuff is happening, and we need to be prepared for, for what's going on. Uh, Psalm 13 it would be just one example. So I had a good time with that. Uh, here was the church, the church of the New Open Square in Irpine. So this is nearby our home. Pastor Victor Munko is the pastor. Uh, this is a church that was established a, a while back, but all the people left. And Victor Munko is one of the first graduates in the Bible College in Kiev. He's a grace guy, and everybody leaves. He stays behind in Irpine. Battles are going on. Uh, he was only out of Irpine for three weeks, and Russian soldiers took over his apartment. Uh, of course, they trashed the place, and he has to go live in, with his uncle in Lviv, or I mean his, his nephew in Lviv. Then he later comes back. And then when he comes back, uh, he, he continues to do ministry. He was doing it before, the, as the war was going on, even after. When everybody left, the Russian soldiers left, he still did ministry. And now there's a brand-new changeover, a complete changeover of people. And he's one of the guys that's there, and he needs prayer. Uh, he is being opposed by some of the, what I call the legalists, which is everywhere. That's sort of the standard, you know, situation where you're, you're saved salvation by great, you know, by works in some way or another, very popular. You're trying to fight through that stuff. And, uh, you know, he's a grace guy. And so he's getting pressures from other folks that are higher above him. And we need to pray for him, but he's doing a great job. He started the book of Romans here last week, uh, every day, been teaching that. And he does, uh, he passes out Robbie's tracks and, and talks to people. And there you can see what's going on in that church in Irpine. I also taught uh, uh, Philippians, Philemon, and Rovna for Dr. Ron Minton. So that went very well. We had a great time with those folks. Uh, we also finished up Proverbs 25 to 31 in Lviv. So again, this is what happened in, in Ukraine pretty quickly. But we had a good year in spite of the difficulties of the war. Uh, in March, I was asked to go to Oxford, uh, not to the, you know, I mean, to the city itself, but Marlowe Baptist Church asked me to do something on Hebrews. So uh, some of you may have known, I uh, have written a book on Hebrews. If you're interested in this book, I still pedal books. Come talk to me after class and I can help you maybe get one of those if you're interested. But anyway, I taught this book uh, in several places, in, especially in Ukraine over the years. I, I, in fact, I developed this book, Teaching Lectures uh, in Ukraine, Key Theological Seminary especially. 
So anyway, I went there, had a good time through contacts, and they invited me. First time I've been to Oxford, and this is part of the problem with the West, guys. Uh, when I was in Oxford, I heard there are plans in Oxford. Next year, the city administration of Oxford, this is ground zero for Western civilization, right, for education. They have plans to tell people who live there, you cannot walk 15 minutes away from your home except by government permission. Okay, the, the, this is what's going on, okay, and these things are very serious, leading to all kinds of problems. And which side are you going to pick, you know, on this whole evil situation which we are in the middle of it, it's a very difficult situation so i taught on god's rest god's kingdom that's a lot better plan and i'm looking forward to that we also did ministries in armenia so again a great time there uh we we lived there for three years we did lots of ministries there they're still going on uh, we're supporting people there and we have an evangelist that's very busy very active and he's been great there's a church there that we've helped to really found in god's word uh, thanks to the virus scare, so uh, God took out all my competition. There, I mean, there was all kinds of chaos going on, and uh, I was able to teach some very serious books and be very intimate with these people and uh, taught them Romans, Hebrews, the book of Proverbs, Daniel, uh, Revelation. And then this last, uh, I taught First and Second, Third John, so I had a really good time, and, and we just really uh, had a wonderful time of teaching and fellowship, so... This is in the Bethlehem Church, and again, this is for Dr. Ron Minton. And this church is growing. Uh, this is a good thing. Lots of young people, and uh, I also translated my book, uh, Hebrews, into Armenian. So if you want to take a look at that, you can do that. And so uh, we have that, and I passed out a whole bunch of books to people. They were all excited because I taught Hebrews there last year, and finally I was able to get this book translated and now passed out to people. I also got my doctorate, finished that off, Dr. Wayne House. I can thank him for that. I would have never have done that without him. I don't think I would heal. He told me I need to, and, and I listened to him, and I did it, and I'm glad I did it, but it was a lot of trouble, a lot of work, but uh, that's over with too. Uh, that's good. And then we also went to Israel. We had a great time there with the family. So Karen had a little break, and we went to, first time she was there, uh, Alex and, and Paul, first time they had been there, and we also joined up with Wayne on occasion because it was at the same time. We did the best we could to be with them as much as we could. We looked, checked out Jerusalem, so we had a good time, family vacation there. And then we're now home, and Rachel will join us. So some of you know Rachel. She'll be with us, and I'm pretty sure that she's going to have some ministries there. She's all over the world doing all kinds of stuff. It's just amazing. I can't keep track of it. She's doing more than me. Uh, the only difference is she gets paid less than I do. Anyway, uh, so that's a little bit about what's going on over the last year. And we regularly support five churches. So uh, we have a church in Badashevka we support, a church in Lviv, a church in Kiev, the Regeneration Church. That's another church, by the way. Uh, of course, Jim, you know, the Word of God Church, you know, that church uh, you know, is still there, of course. The Church of the New Open Square in Irpin and the Abovian Baptist Church in Abovian. So that's in Armenia. So please keep us in mind for prayer. We need support. Uh, we're a small group, and we're trying to do a lot of things uh, on the cheap. And, uh, of course, Karen's job helps that a lot, and she's a hero because uh, she, you know, she's willing to do this, and uh, she's been through a lot too, and uh, need to pray for her as well. And now pray for Rachel. So uh, that's a little bit of last year, what happened 
on with Air Rat Rainier East West Fellowship. Um, I'm out of time, so I guess I need to close in prayer, maybe ask questions. I don't know what's going on here. You, we can talk afterwards. Uh, what's, there's any questions you're welcome to ask. So that's just sort of a quick summary, very fast. So let me know if you got any questions at all. No questions? People are tired, and so am I, but yeah. Yeah, it's a long day, so. I did? Really? All right. Well, it's by the way, the last time you were here was when we we uh, did the graduation and gave you your oh, that doctorate. Was last year. Yeah, that was last year. That was last year. That's right. Yeah. So. I'm thinking. How soon we forget, uh, Doctor Musser? No, I know. I was with you last year when the graduation. Forgive me. Yeah, exactly. Boy. Anyway. See, you hit fifty and it, it, you lose it all. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for all the work that you're doing through. Mark and Karen, especially we pray for her as she is the one who stays at home and uh, works and, and uh, not that Mark doesn't, but we know that he's out doing so much and we thank you for her support and for Rachel, safety for her and all the details have been taken care of for her to go over and we just pray your, that you will uh, watch over and protect them and just uh, continue to open doors for um, the opportunities to get your word into all of these countries in Eastern Europe. And above all, we just pray that this war will end. And, um, Father, we pray, though, that we know that all things work together for good, and you're using this for one. And one of the purposes is that it's getting the gospel to so many people who uh, might not have heard it otherwise, and it's getting the, your word out. And so we're just thankful for the way in which you're you're doing that. So, Father, we pray for them. We pray that we know that you will provide the finances that they need to do what you want them to accomplish. And so we trust you for that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.